You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And you're back in the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Each week we bring you the best in healthcare talk radio and try to arm you with the information that you need so that you'll be able to fight for your health care freedom and advocate for yourself and your family. This show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country that's run and operated by doctors in active practice. We are on, we're on the ground. We are dealing with patients and health care issues on a daily basis. We know what we're talking about. Our website is d4pcfoundation.org. Please go to our website, support the work that we're doing, uh, including this terrific radio show that we bring to you each week on America's Web Radio. We're going to get right into our show today because we've got a lot of ground to cover, and uh, we've got our guest, Grace Marie Turner, with us for three segments. So we are going to try to barrel through a lot of the things that uh, you're reading about in the papers and hearing on the uh, news and TV virtually 24-7. Grace Marie Turner is the uh, president and the CEO of the Galen Institute. She has been a uh, uh, guest on this show numerous times. She is a uh, member of our advisory board for the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. And um, we uh, we love having her on because she just knows health care better than probably 99.9% of the people in this country. I wish that people would listen to you, Grace Marie. Well, you know, maybe how they are, actually. <laughs> After eight years of help first explaining to people what we expected would be happening with the ACA because of the structure of it and the, the poor incentives, we anticipated much of this failure. And now we really have a chance to get our health sector back on track and put doctors and patients back in charge of medical decisions, Hal. So this is a really, this is an historic moment. It's really an historic week going on in Washington right now. So it's very ugly, isn't it? We're watching sausage being made before our eyes. <laughs> Never a pretty sight. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to cover some of the some of the contentious issues that have come up in uh, in trying to hammer out this repeal and replacement uh, uh, process. Can you uh, uh, briefly just uh, uh, f- talk about some of some of the uh, the issues that that we're uh, going to need to be facing to get over the hurdle? There are really three three specific challenges in getting this repeal and replace legislation over the top. Policy, politics, and process. The politics really are dictated by the election results, by by four election results, actually, where the American people have, have thrown out candidates that supported the ACA. In the first election, in 2010, 65 Democrats lost their seats because they had voted for the ACA. So it is clear that these there have been wave elections, and this is the first time that they have had both 
control of both houses of Congress and a president who would sign repeal legislation. And they have to get this done. So there's a, there's a political imperative to do this. But there are some factions who just want repeal. They say that's what we promised. But Donald Trump, President Trump, keeps saying, no, I ran on repeal and replace. We don't want 20 million people to lose their coverage. So the replace part is really what's causing the consternation, and I will, we can get back to that. Then you have the policy, really trying to get this right. This is an historic moment where we have a chance to do the most significant entitlement reform, health reform, in, from a conservative perspective, in a generation where we really can begin to turn this battleship, this aircraft carrier of a health care system, in, the, in a different direction, away from more and more government control and micromanagement from Washington, and more toward states having, having more power to regulate their markets and ultimately to give more power to people and consumers and doctors and patients over health care. This is going to be a long process. We're talking about one-sixth of our economy. It's not going to happen fast. But the policy is really important, and we can talk about that. But then we have the process. Because we only have 52, Republicans only have 52 votes in the Senate, you, ha- you, can't not, you cannot run this through the regular process because it, it takes 60 votes to break a filibuster. Democrats could stop it. And so you have to go through a relatively tortured process called reconciliation. People have probably heard that, which means that there is a specific, there are specific rules of the Senate that will allow any measure that, di- di- that directly affects budget and spending to go through the Congress to the Senate with only 51 votes, with a simple majority. And so that's the process they're using, but it limits them in what they can get through that pipeline. They cannot get all of Obamacare. They cannot get all the Medicare rules and regulations. They cannot get the, the insurance rules and regulations because they don't pertain directly to federal spending. So things like the individual mandate, they, they can't get rid of the individual mandate because they can zero out the penalties because that's a financial issue. The same thing with the employer mandate. They can zero out the penalties. They can provide new subsidies for people to purchase health insurance because that's a financial issue. They can get rid of all the taxes because that's a financial issue. So those are the kinds of things they're going to be doing. Significant. And they're really, it basically takes the, the pillars away from the ACA, but some parts of it will be left standing. And that's also something that upsets the conservatives who's promised that they were going to pull Obamacare out by root and branch. Well, with the process they have to use, that's not possible. So that's one of the reasons this is so so complicated, because you've got the, the politics, the policy, and the process that have to be navigated to get this done, and Speaker Ryan wants to get this done before the Easter recess. So he really wants to get this done by, by the first week in April, signed um, by the President and 
uh, pass through the House, pass through the Senate, and onto the President's desk before they leave for their Easter recess on, looking at my calendar here, on April the 6th. And so that's a, that's a huge, huge agenda, less than a month now to get an enormous amount of work done. But they're on a track to do it. Um, people don't like the policy they don't a lot of people don't like the policy but nobody's going to love everything in this law but i have concluded in watching this very close up for 15 months by the way that they've been developing this legislation that this is the best they can do i think how and and it's important it's crucial that we get this done, A, because so many other things are backed up behind it, including tax reform, the debt ceiling, lots of other things, more confirmations and the confirmation of the new Supreme Court justice. They have to get this done on this time schedule because too many other things rely on getting this out of here. But there is a lot of opposition from people who don't see this as a perfect bill and want to stop it, which I think is a terrible mistake. Yeah, I, I think that... Um it's it's either a choice of passing something that may be imperfect or not having anything, which is the same thing as um, allowing the system to to implode because Obamacare is imploding. And leaving Obamacare in place. And I'm telling you, would you like to be one of those members of Congress who was elected to repeal Obamacare? And votes against the only repeal, they're only going to get one shot at this. This is the bill they're going to have to vote on. Yes. And they only get one shot at this. Right. And are they the ones that are going to go back to their voters and say, I voted against repeal because it wasn't perfect? And you you mentioned this, I think, in in one of your recent articles, maybe it was a Forbes article, um, about the last time that the GOP had a... uh, had a real chance at entitlement reform, and they blew it. They really blew it. They, when when George W. Bush was elected to his second term, he decided he was going to go all in for private accounts for Social Security, young people that would be able to put a portion of their Social Security taxes into a private account, rather than turning in a lifetime of payroll taxes over to the federal government. And and he decided that that was going to be his major agenda to lead off the second term. The the conservative policy community was divided, just as they are now, over how to do this in sort of a, on, on the policy details. And they battled each other the whole from January, March, April, all the way through the summer. And they couldn't come to agreement, and it really stalled action on Capitol Hill. And then Hurricane Katrina hit. George W. Bush not only was completely preoccupied with that, but he lost his political capital, and Social Security reform died. Mm -hmm. The same thing could happen here. There's great hubris in thinking that they're going to have all year to do health reform. No, this is their shot. There is a huge amount of work that has to be done to get to the point that they can use the reconciliation process. That's months of work, mm-hmm. and that's the way they're, they have do- dedicated this 2017 reconciliation measure to getting the Obamacare reform, repeal and replace, over the finish line. They're not going to have another shot at this. 
which is why I believe in the end they have to support this. But they're the Club for Growth, the Freedom Caucus, Heritage Action are all decided to create a war over this, and it just makes me crazy. Why? Why are um, Republicans and conservatives so bad at getting together? While the Democrats seem yeah, to really good seem to seem to um, pretty much march in lockstep. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think that they they are more disciplined because they they have a sense that you know we have to have their their whole philosophy really is believing that they have a better idea of how in this case the health sector should work and and they they are willing to put part smaller differences aside for that larger goal they keep the larger goal in mind and what happens with republicans is that they want they want ideological purity and this just doesn't work in the messy po- process of policy and, and politics as you pointed out this is sausage making Watching legislation be made is not pretty because there's a lot of horse trading. There's a lot of you know the one the race the way they got the ACA over the over the finish line in the Senate was by offering senators all of these special perks. Absolutely, the Louisiana Purchase, the Cornhusker Kickback, all these things. They they said we'll put extra money in for your state if you vote for this. And, and it's, it's ugly, and it turned into a big mess of legislation, and a lot of it had to be pulled back, and, and members of and many senators lost their seats over it. But, well, but they, Republicans aren't willing to do that. No, and, and, <laughs> and that's what makes people like you and I absolutely pull our hair out. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of ground that we're going to cover in the next two segments when we come back in the Doctor's Lounge, so please stay with us. for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. My guest this morning is Grace Marie Turner from the Galen Institute, and we are doing our best to unpack the American Health Care Act that uh, we're watching uh, uh, unfold before our, our very eyes every day 
on TV and in the newspapers. Um, Grace Marie, the the um, the bill, the American Health Care Act. Many people who are um, looking at this in the world that I live in, the the physician um, policy world, view this not as the American Health Care Act, but the American Health Care Insurance Act, because there's really nothing in this bill that actually talks about health care, nor has anybody, not a single person that I have um, listened to or read, discussed what the real problems that we're facing are, which are the high cost of health care, which is the single biggest driver of insurance. So when you do all of the machinations to try to get people coverage and drive down costs by making market forces operational, you're ignoring the the elephant in the room, which is why insurance is so high to begin with, not because of poor competition or lack of competition, but because the cost of the care that the insurance companies are covering is so expensive. Can you Can you weigh in on that? There are, because of the process, they are limited in what they can do to in in this first bill, and they it really is a first bill. They have a lot of other legislation, including some that, that they have held hearings on yesterday, that will begin to give people be, begin to give people more choices. But there are things in this in this bill. For example, they they're kind of pushing the limits and saying they're going to get rid of the three to one age rating, so that young people don't have to pay so much more for their health insurance that they basically don't buy it. And then and moving that to five to one. That's that's tricky because they're thinking, well, maybe we can get a couple of regulatory changes in this, even though they're not directly preterm. But everything in this bill has to be directly. A pro- directly uh, affecting spending or taxes in order to get through the reconciliation process. But that's why they're saying this isn't the end of the story. One of the things they're looking at is is, a, is legislation that will deal with McCain-Ferguson so they could break up the insurance monopolies and maybe even hospital op- monopolies. You mean John McCain? Ferg- you mean McCarran ferguson right? McCarran ferguson <laughs> Yeah, John McCain. McCarran ferguson that, um, to, to break those up. There also are a lot of things that once this law is in place, that, that Dr. Tom Price, HHS secretary, will be able to do from a regulatory perspective. They uh, they marked up legislation yesterday allowing cross-state uh, purchasing of health insurance, a separate bill on legal reform, a separate bill. So this is not it, it, this is not like the ACA where they tried to jam everything into one bill and get this over the finish line. They're going to do this. This is a cornerstone for other legislation, and they believe on some of these other measures they will be able to get democratic support, getting rid of the independent payment advisory board, the dreaded IPATH. A number of Democrats have said that they support that. So there will be other freestanding bills that follow that don't have to go through this tortured reconciliation process because they believe they might be able to get eight votes in the Senate to get this over to the president's desk. So do you do you view this as a messaging problem on the part of the GOP? 
Well, of course, it's a message. <laughs> they're terrible at messaging. But they're, the one other thing, I think the most important thing, Al, in this bill is that they are going to give much more power and authority to the states to regulate their health insurance markets in this first law. And what they will do is give the states more authority to, to provide people with a much wider range of health insurance choices. I spoke yesterday to a bunch of executives, some of whom were health insurance, and they said they have lots of ideas about ways that they could get health insurance costs down and health care costs down if they had more flexibility rather than being in this straitjacket of Obamacare, which significantly restricts the kinds of policies they can offer. So devolving power to the states, devolving power to individuals is really what's going to energize the competitive market to do what the rest of the economy does, and that is to make things cheaper over time and better over time because of innovation and creativity and new technologies. We just haven't used that enough in the health sector, and especially in you know, giving giving people a chance to understand more about their how they're contributing to making costs higher and giving the people an incentive to really make sure they're in control both of their health care choices and their health spending choices. Um, the um I just, I, it just, the thought just went out of my head. You know, Hal, I'm watching. This is interesting. The, um, I'm, I've got my my uh, television in my office on C-SPAN, and the hearing before the House Energy and Commerce Committee, the markup session is still going on. Well, that was an all-nighter, wasn't it? It started at nine o'clock yesterday, either nine or ten o'clock. Yes, I think nine o'clock yesterday morning. And they are still going on marking up this bill. They basically said we're not going to stop until we get this done. I hope they have a lot of coffee in there. I'm sure they do. <laughs> they look disheveled and exhausted. Oh, my goodness. I I don't know how much longer this can last. I suspect ways and means it's going the same way. I mean, the Democrats are really dragging this out with lots and lots of amendments, most of which are not going to pass because the Democrats don't have a majority on the committees, just like they don't have a majority on the floor of the House. But that's, that's the... Um I guess the the fairness of the chairman, um, uh, Chairman Brady, yeah, letting Brady le- and Chairman Walden. letting letting these amendments uh, be introduced because they're doing this openly and fairer than than uh, occurred back in two thousand and nine. That's right, and that's really one of the pro- one of the pledges that the speaker has made is that they are going to go through what they call regular order. They they um, wrote up the bill. It's in two sections. It's the, the, the financing section that goes with the Ways and Means, the House Ways and Means Committee, and more of the Medicaid reform. We can talk about that, too, because yes. there's significant um, reforms in the Medicaid program. And that is primarily being handled by the Energy and Commerce Committee. They'll merge those two bills. That will then go to the Rules Committee and the Budget Committee before it goes to the floor with, with ample notification in between each one of these. And then it will go to the floor, and then once it uh, passes the House, which I really believe it will, that they will then send it over to the Senate, which has a huge other challenge in, in getting this over the finish mm-hmm. line. But every day, really almost every hour counts 
with this with the with the process to get this done by the end of the month. One of the criticisms that <laughs> I've heard is that um, that that Secretary Price. Um, as as um, the czar of health care, thanks to the Affordable Care Act and the 1,400 um, mentions about what this secretary shall be able to do, um, could have um, neutered uh, Obamacare um, the day that he was confirmed. And um, many many people are questioning why he hasn't done more from a regulatory standpoint as the legislative process is moving forward. Absolutely. That is absolutely going on as we speak, Hal. In the, the very first executive order that President Trump signed when he walked into the Oval Office was an executive order giving the Secretary of HHS broad authority to protect consumers, protect doctors, from and protect small businesses from the ravages of Obamacare. There's only so much they can do through regulatory policy. The, the Secretary has no authority to spend new money no. to be able to provide subsidies for people, substitute subsidies for people so they don't lose their health insurance coverage. He can't do anything that involves, he couldn't get rid of all the taxes. That can only be done by Congress, but he he can do things with, but that don't conflict with the law. For example, the secretary they tried to push it to see if they be, might be able to adjust this age band rating. They thought, well, let's go to three point four nine because that re- that averages back to three. Well, people shot that down because the law specifically says that the age bands will be three to one. So he can't do things. They conflict with the law that is still on the books. Right. But they produced a regulation that gives people a great deal of flexibility. Within the first couple of weeks, it's up for public comment now, and they have a number of other regulations stacked up. It, it, it's very tedious and laborious. As you know, these regulations are very, um, are, are very legalese, legalistic. And so though they're, they're working on a lot of things, and he'll be able to do a lot once this law is passed with the new authority he's given through the American Health Care Act. Okay. So that they are working 24-7 over there as well on the regulatory policy. But unlike the Obama administration, they want to do this within the law. The Obama administration more than 30 times has yes. sent out regulations that conflicted with the law. Right, right. They, they didn't have legal authority. They picked They're winners and losers. That's right. That's right. So th- uh, we're going to be coming toward the end of this um, segment pretty soon. I'm going to throw out a, a couple of questions, and we may have to get to it in the next segment. But um, the concern, again, by watchers, insiders who are watching healthcare, is winners and losers. And you're you're inside the Beltway and ha- probably better informed than most people on on these issues. Um, we the the physician community um, involved in policy understands that the special interests are really um, are are in many cases um, pulling the strings. And one of the concerns was whether or not some of these um, payments to the insurance companies 
that were set aside in HHS and CMS are uh, going to get paid in this administration. We saw already in the American Health Care Act, I, reading through this bill, it looked like there were provisions in there to the hospitals to give them back their their disproportionate share funds, their dish funds. So can you can, think about these these two questions, Grace Marie, and we'll, we'll – um, We'll, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing your answer when we get back in, the, in your last segment, our, our third segment in the Doctors' Lounge on America's web radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You're back in the Doctor's Lounge. My guest today, Grace Marie Turner, and this is our last segment, and we appreciate our being here as always, and so we're going to just uh, get right back into our conversation. Grace Marie, um, what, what, what do you think about uh, these these special interests um, that... that, uh, that Tend to uh, profit um, uh, just just beyond beyond anybody's imagination in healthcare. Now, the, the hospitals in particular, and the, the ability for the hospitals to to begin to create these mini monopolies and and buy up doctors' practices so they can charge sometimes three or four times more for the same service delivered in the same setting in the physician's office. And the hospitals are charge more because it is considered under the hospital umbrella rather than the private practice umbrella. I mean, that's, co- that's costing the health sector uh, certainly billions of dollars and maybe more. So they, they're looking at that, trying to figure out what can, they, what can they do. But the hospitals have come out very strongly against this American Health Care Act, even though they, the, the drafters of this legislation tried to throw them um, A bone. something that they <laughs> wanted with these disproportionate share payments. Be- because the ACA, Obamacare, assumed that 
there would be less uncompensated care at hospitals because more people were insured, they cut the dish payments. But what we've seen is that even more people have shown up at hospital emergency rooms yes. seeking care. And that and the hospitals are saying that they're losing money on that too. So they said, well, restore the payments as they were before the ACA passed in this law. Apparently that's not enough for the hospitals. And I, I, I don't really understand fully what their, what their issues are because they're, they're saying, well, we're going to have so many more people uninsured. Well, the law for three years leaves the people who were on the, on Medicaid, on this expanded Medicaid program, leaves that in place while a new system is developed to give people more affordable coverage, more choices, a new system of subsidies for people who need help in purchasing their health insurance. So I, I don't know if it's ideological, it's just political, why on earth the hospitals are being so belligerent. But, you know, and there, as I said, there, there are interest groups. So far, we haven't heard from the insurance industry, from the pharmaceutical industry. I think that they are kind of wanting to stay in the background because so many people were blasted for their support of the ACA. I mean, I, I did a, a study, actually. Every single CEO of a major pharmaceutical company who was on the board of pharma and supported passage of Obamacare was gone within a year. Mm. They, the boards replaced them, and, and the boards saw this was a big mistake. There are huge taxes in here. This is, this is a platform for untold regulation. Uh, somebody did the research. There are about 350 words in the original Obamacare legislation, the 2,000-page bill, but 20,000 words, 20,000, 20 million words of regulation. That's really what opens the floodgate mm-hmm. to really intrude into practice. And so this this bill that they're debating right now is 100 pages. Right. doesn't give them nearly that, that many opportunities. And the most important thing is that they're trying to get government out of the health sector. They want consumers, doctors, and patients in the health sector to innovate, to provide people with better, more affordable choices. They don't want to micromanage the whole thing. So that's, and that, of course, makes the, the, the Democrats crazy. So that's, that's a great segue into, the I think, the last topic that we'll probably have time to cover. And I, I heard um, Speaker Ryan say exactly what you just said about let's unleash competition and and let people create, let doctors compete and create. But do these people in Washington even understand that that's impossible given the current regulatory yes. um n- well no i'm not sure that that's true because they're blaming it all on obamacare and i i must tell you that it's not obamacare that has made it impossible for physicians to compete it's the other statutory problems that that have handcuffed doctors and innovators and entrepreneurs laws like the stark regulations okay. which prevent doctors from competing against hospitals because they can't send patients to facilities that they have an interest in, or laws like MACRA, which 
were passed last year, which absolutely just just um, make it impossible for doctors who are who operate small practices to stay profitable. They've predicted that over seventy five percent of the doctors in groups of less than a um, hundred are going to lose money in in uh, in under macro. So I can go through a whole list of of statutory problems that that have nothing to do with with Obamacare, and so I think it's disingenuous to to use um, terminology like "well, we'll get rid of Obamacare and unleash entrepreneurism." Not until we get rid of other statutory problems that that have picked winners and losers, and you know, put I think the physician community. Um, made them made them into scapegoats. Obamacare breaks the logjam, Hal. They've got to do this first because it, there's such a political imperative to it. But the smart people, and especially the smart staffers who actually write this legislation, do understand that. But my but battleship analogy holds here too that we've got to make this first turn to be able to start us on a new direction that begins the process of deregulating. I mean, President Trump has said you cannot put a new regulation in place unless you get rid of two old ones. So that's a possibility to begin to, to work with the H, with HHS uh, regulators, with Dr. Price. I know you have a personal relationship with Dr. Price. To talk with him about how can we begin to unwind this regulatory red tra- tape, this straitjacket that is putting people in such a bind and and, and putting physicians at such personal risk and financial risk by going awry of, of a regulation drafted by a bunch of Washington lawyers who have no idea what you're dealing with in your clinical practices on the front lines of medicine. That's where there, there is an open door for you to begin to tell the people who are in charge of, of writing and rewriting these laws and these regulations to say, this is what needs to be fixed. And there's a lot of work that's going to have to be done in the physician community to begin the process of saying, what needs to come first? How can we begin the process of not just getting rid of Obamacare? I agree with you that this is this has been the sort of the the, the front for people being ob- objecting to government control of the health sector. But but doing this legislation by no means fixes the problem. But we've got to get it over the over the line so we can begin this process because otherwise. They do not have any tools at HHS, or very few tools at HHS, to really begin to do that. That's why this is so important. How do you um, answer the question about fatigue? Because I think that that is a big problem right now. There, people are immune to a lot of the rhetoric because they've really seen nothing happen. So, so how do you answer that? Well, I mean, they, they, the, the House tried to do everything, the Senate tried to do everything they could. Once they, the Republicans can gain control of the Senate, they put a, of the Senate, they put a repeal bill on President Obama's desk. They've made it clear in passing 24 bills that unwound 
many parts of Obamacare, the, the Class Act, the 1099 rule, protecting people from a lot of the taxes for a couple of years, signed by President Obama. So they've been trying for several years with the tools they had of working within our constitutional process to do as much as they could. Now they have a whole new chance. We've got to kind of switch gears and think, okay, what what do we want to do? We don't have to be on the defensive any longer. We've been on the defensive for eight years at least, really longer 16 years, mm-hmm. because the Republicans took control of the Congress in 20, 2006. We've been on the defensive on health policy for that long, and George W. Bush didn't do much no. with health policy. He did the health savings accounts and, and Medicare Part, Part D, D, but right. not overall health reform. We've got to take the reins here and realize we're in control, what needs to be done, and let's have our own agenda going forward. Medicaid reform, we're going to only have a few minutes, so I'm going to give you a chance to talk about that. Yeah, people talk about block grants. It's okay, the federal government's just going to send a bunch of money to the states. They are going to do that, but it's going to be on a per capita allocation. So if you have, if your state has has a population that has particularly... Uh, a disproportionate number of people with multiple chronic illnesses, multiple prob- uh, problems, and and many fewer moms and babies, then you, that state is going to get more money because each person is going to have an allocation from Washington for Washington's share of the Medicaid money rather than having these you know categories of, of the federal matching rate that is just so distorted. We could talk about that in the next program. But the most important thing is giving states much more power and flexibility to improve this program so that every time they decide they're going to change something, they don't need to say, well, the way we're going to pay for this is cutting physician payments even further. That's not a solution. It hasn't worked. And the the governors and the state legislators need a lot more flexibility with this program, which this new House bill will do. Well, that that's encouraging. Um, Grace Marie, how do people follow you in the work that you're doing at the Galen Institute? I would love for people to visit us at our website, Galen, G-A-L-E-N dot org, named after the second century Greek physician, or at ObamacareWatch.org. You need the watch in there, ObamacareWatch.org, where we post many times a day articles with the latest important news about what's happening on the Obamacare repeal and replace effort. So I invite people to join us there. And on our Galen website, we have a major paper on MACRA and really understanding and diving into the details of why this is so dangerous for physician practices. And I, I would uh, recommend to all the listeners to go to Obamacare Watch. I, I'm a subscriber, and I get that um, regularly. Yes, sign up for the newsletter, too. You can do that on the bottom right side of that of the page. And this is very important, because if you're uninformed, you don't know what's going on. You really don't understand what is being reported on TV or in the newspapers, because it's just just a very small part of the story. So you need to follow this and and be be an informed um, observer of health care so that you can talk to your congressmen and talk to your senators and tell them that that you support this effort to um, to to repeal and replace Obamacare. We need to take back health care and and put it back into the hands of patients. And uh, that's this is this is all exactly ve- right. very important. Um, I uh, 
I'm involved in the One Nation Health, as you know, Grace Marie, which is another effort. There are a lot of efforts out there right now to try to uh, get this over the hump. And um, I think that individuals around the country need to um, take an active role instead of a passive one and uh, tell Washington what they want. That's right, and I really encourage people to let their members of Congress, and particularly right now their their representatives know, and then their senators, uh, they need to hear from doctors. Hal, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. I look forward to seeing you in Washington next week to uh, talk about physician autonomy in uh, the practice of medicine and particularly being able to prescribe the right drugs for people and um, look forward to hopefully doing this this call again as we um, as this process continues well you can count on it and there's going to be i think it's going to be a long haul and uh, we we count on you to um, help us understand what's happening in washington and make some sense of well, it and thank you for all you do and all your engagement all best wishes to you and the doctors for patient care foundation And uh, best to you in the Galen Institute. Thank you for joining us today, Grace Marie. Stay with us. We'll be back for the last segment in the Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Thanks for staying with us in the Doctor's Lounge. We've been uh, trying to unpack the American Health Care uh, Act, the GOP health care law. We had Grace Marie Turner from the Galen Institute for the first three segments of our show. She is... You know, probably one of the most knowledgeable healthcare public policy people in America. She is um, uh, called in from the executive branch, from the legislative branch, to provide information about what is happening in healthcare public policy, and um, we really value her um, her expertise, her friendship, her her um, help in uh, really um, making these very complex issues a little bit more understandable. Um, In the last segment, I mentioned my involvement in the One Nation Health um, effort. It's a uh, a, basically a um, consortium of individuals who are 
working together to try to hold the GOP's feet to the fire, make them uh, unify, and then to help message it and get it out and uh, and support the effort that they that they come up with. And and I, um, as a physician, as a physician leader, I've uh, been asked to uh, head up the physician. Uh, effort of the One Nation Health. And one of the things that uh, I mentioned in in several of the segments earlier today, and, and I'll bring it up again, is the fact that the special interests really are the ones who are profiting the most from anything that is coming out of health care. Now, we've heard <clears throat> Grace Marie Turner say that this is step one, be patient, and, and there's only so much that can be done given the um, fact that there are only 52 GOP senators and uh, new laws that need to be created are going to require a, either a, uh, a larger majority or a coalition of both um, Republicans and Democrats. Nonetheless, as a uh, physician, as somebody who's been following this from a physician standpoint, I will say <clears throat> that um, there is a lot of angst, a lot of concern that everything that has been discussed, everything that is part of this whole debate centers 100% on health care insurance and access and coverage. And um, it really does not address the elephant in the room, which is the high cost of health care, which is the primary driver of health care insurance. So I, I submit to you, the listeners, the list that I was asked to create, if I were in charge of health care and we were able to start again and get rid of the regulations, get rid of the problems in healthcare that the physician community faces because right now we are handcuffed. We cannot do anything to drive down the cost of healthcare because of all of the laws, all of the regulations that make it impossible to innovate, to create, to be, um, to, to help open up the healthcare marketplace. Um, physicians are are getting burned out. They're checking out. They've already checked out in many cases. 65% of doctors in this country currently work for hospitals. There was a time that that was against the law, that the there was a law that was the corporate practice of medicine, and that was, that was against the law. That's why Kaiser has the Kaiser Hospital System and the Permanente Group, which they contract with, Kaiser could not employ doctors. They had to come up with a contractual relationship with the medical group. Well, all of that pretty much got thrown out in favor of the hospitals, and now you see hospitals buying up doctors' practices all throughout the country at record numbers, at bargain prices, because doctors are are just really afraid or they're going bankrupt or they're sick and tired of what's going on. They're selling their practices at fire sale rates. And so that can't be good. Nobody who's getting their care in the hospital can can tell me that they're getting a better experience than they do in a private doctor's office. 
but 65% of doctors work for hospitals now. That has to be unwound. Here's another startling statistic. Over 15% of medical students, the people, the crop of people who are going to be replacing the doctors who are leaving medicine earlier than they ever did before because they're tired of what's going on. The, the replacement doctors in medical schools are not being produced at the same rate that they used to be produced. There was a time when you went to medical school and everybody went into clinical practice. Well, now 15% of doctors in American, of medical students in American medical schools will not touch a patient in their lifetime. They will go into healthcare IT or hospital management or venture capital or something. They'll utilize their MD degree and parlay it into a career that's not quite as aggravating as having to deal with the bureaucratic state of healthcare today. So I was asked as part of uh, the uh, One Nation Health to come up with the wish list for doctors for health care reform. And I, I, I produced this list, which I think really pretty much encompasses how you can drive down costs by unleashing the power of the physician community and utilizing their collective um, strength as thought leaders and, and experienced health care providers to really drive down the cost of health care. One is to promote health savings accounts and let people use them as they wish and uncouple it from insurance. And I'm saying this even though we're talking about I'm trying to get insurance out of this and health savings accounts are insurance and we're talking about tax now, tax consequences, but I'm, I'm saying this from, this from the perspective of direct primary care, which is a topic we have talked about on this show week after week after week. It is the answer to to um, to how to get care f- for patients and uncouple primary care, which is eighty percent of health care, and get it away from insurance. But right now, there are aggressive um, uh, state insurance commissioners who are harassing doctors who wish to open those practices because they view direct primary care as a risk-bearing entity and not as a um, as a del- healthcare delivery system. That needs to be fixed. That needs to be clarified. And health savings accounts need to be able to be used so that people can pay for the direct primary care doctor. And uh, the um, Primary Care Enhancement Act of 2017 has been reintroduced. It's been introduced year after year in the in the House of Representatives. I believe it's HR 365, and that is a law that just needs to be part of uh, health care reform this go around, not later, but now. Um, we need to remove all of the anti physician provisions from the Affordable Care Act, like the prohibition of physicians to open up surgery centers if Medicare funds are being paid, Um, taking away some of the power away from hospitals like the accountable care organizations and the payment models that favor uh, care given in hospitals preferentially to care given by doctors in their offices. And all of the boards that are part of 
Obamacare that are looming big in controlling doctors' behavior like IPAB or like the Amer- uh, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, which tells doctors what services they can del- that Medicare will will reimburse them for, like PSA testing for prostate cancer, which now is considered a D and does not get reimbursed. We need to repeal or relax the Stark laws, which I mentioned in the last segment, which prevent doctors from being able to refer to sent to facilities that they have an ownership interest in. Don't you think that doctors can compete and and offer lower cost care than the hospitals can? Give me a break. We need to fix the Medicare payment system, which reimburses hospitals more for services than those delivered outside of the hospital. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. Then there are laws that are handcuffing doctors. There's MACRA. And that's going to take another whole show. But that was that's just, you know, a – and we've talked about that, and Dr. Karuchik has talked about that on this show. And the high-tech law, which was part of the stimulus package – before Obamacare, that basically compels um, physicians to operate electronic medical records that are what the government wants, not what is good for patients and not what works for physicians' offices. We need to promote charity care with tax incentives to providers. And then there are things that... um, that we we need to uh, work on at the state level, things that we've talked about on this show, repealing certificate of need laws, which keep doctors from being able to compete against hospitals, meaningful tort reform, which is the single biggest driver of defensive medicine that contributes $600 billion annually to the health care price tag. And... Um, and prevent predatory medical societies from uh, preventing doctors from practicing if they don't pay them slush fund money and maintenance of certification. We can go through this, and we will in upcoming shows, but this was the doctor's wish list, which I was asked to provide, and um, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, we'll, you stay tuned, and, and there's a lot more that's going to be coming uh, down the pike. So uh, buckle up, and thanks for being with us today in the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. <laughs> 